0: Zachariah user Alice Childress is more important than Shakespeare. She has unbelievable technical skill, a real sense of emotionality, and it's very possible that she can see into the future. At least, it looks like that when you write about blackness the way that she does. She also has my absolute favorite line in the theater. In Trouble in Mind, my favorite play. When John says he plans to go right to the top and Willetta asks him, and where do you think I was planning to go? Gets me every time. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Classics Podcast, Reclamation, an intervention in the current conversation around theater history, where we recenter and uplift the black writers and storytellers of the American theater, both the celebrated and the forgotten. I'm Dominique Ryder, and we've reached the conclusion of our journey on the exploration of the life, the work, and the legacy of Alice Childress. As we bring this act to a close, we asked our friends and colleagues to speak on what Alice Childress means to them. My name is John Eric Scutchins. Director, stage manager. My favorite Alice Childress play is Trouble in Mine. The story is bold, raw, heartfelt, and rebellious. It reads like a black manifesto for artistic freedom. I stand on the shoulders of this brilliant, brilliant play.
1: Pascal Armand. My favorite Alice Childress play is Wine in the Wilderness. It holds a special place in my heart because it was the very first play that I had ever performed in. I was in my junior year in college and I got the role of Tommy. I auditioned for it and I I auditioned to be in the play and I got Tommy and was ecstatic. And when I got down to reading the material, for me, it seemed to be like a bird's eye view into what it was going to be like to be a black woman in America. I was, again, a junior in undergrad. I'm like mad young. I didn't know what I was in for. Um, But this piece of literature was letting me know like these are the things that are gonna have to be considered as you move through this world. It uh, celebrated, it seriously contemplated, and it revered a black woman's life. Yeah, it's hard, but then the other side of that coin is that there was beauty to it. And so um, at this point, I had, you know, jumped into the artistic pool, but I'm glad that this is the play that got me into the waters because... um, I saw a reflection of myself in this work.
0: We also had longer conversations with Georgetown professor and scholar Soweka Colbert and actor and writer Danetta Lavinia Graves. Here's the conversation Awoye, Armenda, and I had with professor Soweka Colbert. I think the the, the thing that I'm always trying to figure out about, you know, a lot of black dramatists are not just their uh, theatrical interests, but also sometimes their theoretic interests, right, thinking about how, um, how how it seems, I think especially in the current landscape of the American theater, there is this really big disconnect between um, Black studies as a place of thought, Black studies as a place of theorizing, right? And like art that is influenced by or created by theory. And so I'm curious about when when you're teaching these plays, when you're teaching about these writers, how you talk about that?
2: So I try to draw attention to the philosophical, cultural, and social context that playwrights are writing in. If you think about someone like Childress or Hansberry, they're both writing out of a Marxist tradition that is informed by Black radicalism specifically. Mm-hmm. And that comes alive in the material conditions of the world that they're presenting to us. In my most recent work, and I'm in a conversation with a group of scholars and thinking about how some of The conversation around existentialism, which was predominant in the theater world in the mid 20th century, um, comes up and is then thought through in different ways by artists like Childress and Hansberry, but questions around existence, black existence, which are still very much a part of our contemporary conversations around black life and death. All those things are taken head on in her plays. Um, It's clear from Childress's writing and from Hansberry's writing that they're actively engaged with some of the questions around existentialism, which are just about questions around freedom. And as I said, life and death, um, responsibility, power and authority. So they're actively engaged in those conversations, but both of them are also very much invested in thinking about the material conditions of black folks. And so while existentialists are primarily concerned with individual responsibility and individual freedom, Hansberry and Childress were always very clear that they were thinking about collective movements for black freedom. Um, and how that connected to worldwide movements um, for people of color in the world and how they were thinking from an internationalist Marxist lens. And so I think that it is helpful to situate playwrights within black thought and black intellectual traditions because they do offer a specific perspective that might broaden some of our conversations both in terms of the academy but then also in the art world as well. I'm just fascinated by this notion of Um, existentialism that you're carving out around Childress and also Hansberry and how um, it's kind of a shift from an individualist to something that's more about community. I just wonder if you can talk a little bit more (laughs) about what you think that meant to her and kind of what are the philosophies that she's pulling from, drawing from, and activating also in her work. One of the things that's important and exciting about her work and how it spans from the philosophical to the uh, artistic work is you see this understanding of possibility being articulated as a collective struggle, and so that even if it is enacted through an individual character's ability to make you know an affirmative act or to do something positive, it's always understood or depicted as that being linked to other people and so in the world of the play and the larger understanding of the world as it's being created and so one of the things that is useful is that the characters are never operating outside of history and so that's something that I think Childress and Hansberry and Childress specifically as a Marxist is expanding on what the existentialist is doing because existentialists are thinking about again, the individual's ability to assert themselves in the world um, and the responsibility that adheres therein, for the most part, Sartre, um, Camus, are thinking about the extent or the lifespan of an individual as being the, the poles of that assertion. Childress, on the other hand, is thinking about how an individual's life is connected to other people in a historical context and that movements for freedom are elaborated over time. And so an individual's ability to assert themselves in the world is connected to what the possibilities will be in the future. And so for example, when Childress decides not to change the ending of her play, she's not just impacting her own position within theater history, but how theater history unfolds. And that's why I think it's helpful to know that, that Childress was engaged with the left But also operating out of a black radical tradition, which was always thinking about the intersection of race and class, and when you're dealing with an artist like children's gender as well, um, and how that emerges in relationship to material conditions, how that emerges in relationship to labor, and when I mean, so shout out to Celia Hartman. We're thinking about, you know, (laughs) we're thinking about labor. We're always having to think in terms of gender, race, and class, and how that emerges on a day-to-day basis, and how that informs our ability to move in the world. Dominique mentioned this idea of danger in um, Trouble in Mind um, at the time. What do you think the ways that that danger exists both then and also now? I guess you can think about this in two ways. So I think the play is dangerous because it's so about the racism that exists in American theater. And it requires a industry that likes to think of itself as being progressive to take a more closer look at itself um, and to do some introspective work. Another danger is that one could encounter the play in 2022 and think that it's not about the present, that it is telling us a story about how things used to be, that we move forward from there and it's a quaint recollection of what life was before we became more self-aware. And I think that that was a concern that I had about how the play would be received in its most recent production in New York. I think fortunately that doesn't seem to be the case and it's nice that the play emerged alongside a larger conversation in American theater about racism. I wrote a, a piece about on um, the Broadway production in the Washington Post. And one of the quotes that did, did not make it into the piece, but I wish I had, which I, I wish it had, was from Kathy Perkins. I asked her what children would think about the play finally being on Broadway. And she said, you know, she would have been happy that the play was receiving a wider audience, but she would have been distraught by the fact that it took the death of a black man for it to happen. And so the context of anti-black violence being a through line um, certainly from Childress's period to now, but certainly from Black people's existence in the Americas is something that also makes the play dangerous and important for our consideration. And so the thinking about, you know, the anti-Black violence that is both arguably enabling the production history most recently, but then also the anti-Black violence, both quotidian and um, more deadly that's referenced within the play itself. And it's certainly a part of the world that, that Childress is inhabiting.
0: Here's a reflection from playwrights Aaron Coleman and Brittany Allen.
3: So I love the plays of Alice Childress. I first read them in an anthology in 2020, and they hit like a bolt of lightning. How could I have gone through my entire adult life never having read one of her remarkable plays, much less heard of her, but I knew why. It's the way her characters spoke with brutal honesty about the white characters in the play. Very raw, too raw for the nation's white theatrical institutions. Now, these are the plays that I wish I had read in college when I was first learning about the theater world. Discovering her as an adult, however, has really opened my eyes, my ears, and my heart further to what's possible for uh, black told stories on stage. Now, there are many things I love about her work, but one of the things that I particularly love is the nuanced way she depicts relationships between blacks and whites. Um, she recognizes that we must find ways to share space together and work through our tensions. Similar themes I explore in my own work, but I love how she brings these tensions to a new level that one rarely sees in place, particularly plays within the 20th century. Now, it's hard to pick a favorite play of hers, but I'll say uh, Wedding Band, A Love-Hate Story in Black and White. I even love that subtitle. It reveals the tenuous seesaw relationship between the races, how there's love there, but there's rage and hate there um, at the same time, and how those two forces battle against each other. To me, this play... I mean, all her plays really, but this play in particular, puts her on the level of a Miller, of an O'Neill, of an Albee, among the 20th century's greatest, greatest writers, and she must be recognized and studied as such. The particular moment I love in this play is when the black wife has a vicious face-off with her white husband's mother. Because usually, when a white character throws out slurs to a black character, the black characters stand there and don't respond in an effort to be noble. You know, it makes white audiences feel better because, oh no, I can't be as racist as this white woman. But here, the black woman is not silent and voices her opinions about this white woman. She hurls insults back, matching venomous word for venomous word. She has a voice. And what seems like for the first time, we get the response of black rage against white racism. This is refreshingly shocking. Um, This is because a black woman wrote this script. She challenges those old notions of respectability politics and shows that we must be fearless in our writing about confronting racism. Most importantly, we must be unafraid to show the rage inside of us through our work. Um, It makes for good drama, which of course makes great theater. And uh, Childress does this throughout her work. She says things about uh, white characters that we don't hear often in other theatrical pieces and it's that honesty of that tension of those thoughts that enable us to work through the issues that the races face.
4: My name is Brittany K. Allen. I am one who is livid to be late to the party of Alice Childress. Her plays are some of my favorites and I felt this incredible prescience when I first encountered Trouble in Mind, unfortunately very recently. I love how she engages the macro-political through incredibly deep, deft, humane, wry, wise character work. She writes about race as a country structuring force with no straw man, which is incredible and still feels really rare today. The arguments she puts in the mouths of her characters in, for instance, Trouble in Mind emerge from real feeling people. They are clean as bones, these arguments, eerily familiar, and because they feel couched in the real, plausible, actual people, that actually really makes space for the gut punch of the structure she's, you know, addressing, taking down, head on. In Trouble in Mind's case, I would say that's the deep harm of racist representation. I also think she loves Black people and she writes us how we talk and think, we're not an allegory or a prop, which is uncomfortably refreshing. And that's the last thing I should say. I'm uncomfortable with how real and relevant her voice and her subjects feel today in some ways. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable how close my corridor of inquiry feels to hers given the decades between us. Like is she a soothsayer or are we all just really behind her? Also important to say, um, she's funny as hell and I just crave more of that kind of like character emanating humor from our theater.
5: Oh, ride or die.
0: I spoke with Donetta about children's impact on her artistic life.
5: Yeah, so I was a student at the College of Charleston. I came into my undergrad, majored in theater, and I had a mentor there who's still my mentor to this day. Her name is Joy Vandervoort Cobb, and she had a very specifically driven class about African-American theater and African-American women uh, playwrights. And so we read Florence and we read uh, Mojo and Strang. And that's when I first laid eyes on the language. And it was her biography that also really, really moved me, that she was born there in Charleston. And then moved up to New York and became a playwright and screenwriter, (laughs) wrote for television. And I was like, this is amazing. This is a woman after my heart, biography led here, you know. And what I understood from her work was that she never, even though she left the South at an early age, she never lost sight of her southernness in her body and always spoke on regular folk. And I, that's what I just kind of dove into and, and recognized myself all up in there inside of it. The sort of advocacy on the page of what it means to be a black Southern woman what it means to stand in the power of that, even though others might diminish it. So, it felt really recognizable her language and her placement of Black Southern women inside of her inside of her plays. So I was I was I was like, oh yes, this, this lady is mine right now. If I have a, uh, if there's a road map, this is it. It was just there in that class, and it was so. What's so fascinating about it is that once I left college of Charleston, I didn't know that other folks wouldn't know her, and so that was always surprising to me. And it was always frustrating to me to know that she had this volume of work that um, that people weren't didn't have access to. Uh, you know,
0: what do you feel like you learned from her writing as a performer? Mm. And how you, I mean, you know, also being from the South, how you found yourself, if you have had the chance to be in one of them, Mm -hmm. how you found yourself situated in those texts.
5: Yeah. You know, what's interesting, I've never had a chance to perform Childress's work. But, you know, there are writers whose language is so familiar to you that it feels like you're in sync with it already. Not to say that that would be an organic meeting, but it is an organic meeting in my spirit you know, I write from the perspective of an actor in everything that I do, in everything that I do. So I'm not, it's interesting. Um, I did a, a play called uh, The Review or How to Eat Your Opposition is a play that I wrote. And it was very cerebral and researched and everything. And then I sat down with the exhaustion of that and said, I just need to get back to myself. And then I wrote another play that was just language from where I grew up and the way that it flowed you know it felt really centered in something and something familiar and for me when I pick up a children's play it feels kind of like that meeting it's like I can read right through it and go yes 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 yes. (laughs) in the same way that 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 uh spirit of an actor she was an actor too so I think that's kind of the way that uh I meet her language too. I'm like, gosh, every single role, even if they are like somebody I do not like ultimately, I would love to say this language. I think she understands that actors love not only to take up space, but to say something gorgeous, poignant, even if they're taking up a little bit of time. Like that language has to mean something and it has to give us a reason for being present on stage. I think she, I'm, her structure is such that it just, you, you fall into the rhythm of it. It feels really organic to me. Um, and it, it feels like actor-based writing that isn't um, uh, heavy, heavy-handed or that it, it like takes all the stuff away and lets the actor do their job, you know? And that—that's what I
0: really love about her too. I'm curious about then, with all the things you just named. I think mm-hmm. maybe you've already given an answer, but I, I want to ask the question anyway. Yeah. What What continues to bring you back to her work?
5: Before we uh, kind of came together today, I reread "Wine in the Wilderness." So, where is wine in this? Oh, it's it's the last it's the last one in this in this uh, piece. So the final moment. If you remember, where Bill kind of brings all of them together—brings Sony Man, brings um, brings uh, 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 Cynthia and the old timer together—and really has already kind of fallen in love and reimagined what Tommy is. Right? He has this beautiful and just bear with me while I read. It's not too long. Bill says, "But you belong there." In the center, wine in the wilderness, that's who you are. The nightmare about all that I've done disappearing before my eyes, it was a good nightmare. I was painting in the dark, all head, no heart. I couldn't see until you came, baby. Look at tomorrow. She came through the biggest riot of all, something called slavery. And she's even coming through the the now scene, folks laughing at her even her own folks laughing at her and look how with her head high like she's popping her fingers at the world oh let me put it down Tommy wine in the wilderness you got to let me put it down so all the little boys and girls can look up and see you on the wall you know what they're gonna say hey don't you look like somebody we know and they'll be right You're somebody they know. That's why. Because she understands this thing about sort of where I come from. Listen, I have conversations with people. I say, I'm from South Carolina. And they go, ooh. And I'm like, you ever been down south? So, when you talk about the South, you're talking about Black folk. You're talking, you have to talk about a complete picture of the South. You can't just talk about the things that hold you back. There's a re- I always tell people I was not made in New York. This is where I stay to. I became an actor in South Carolina, I became a writer in South Carolina. And it is this woman that she can see this tiny who comes in with her mismatched clothes on and in the rain and tatted and bobby socks and all, that she sees her humanity and demands that she be placed at the center. She talks about her history, how she was, how she come up from Georgia and how she identifies with her Southern roots, even though she lives in Harlem. That's why I come back to Alice Childress's work, because she remembers me. There's, there's rarely a playwright who remembers me, you know, and says, "Oh, you're good. I come to New, I, came, I came to New York and you know, have found myself sometimes just outside of the conversation, especially when it comes to representations of what black Southernisms are. It's always placed in a very specific time. It's, you know <laughs> And you know, it's, uh, you know, two points in history. And not a contemporary look of but about what the Black South is sometimes, and so sometimes I feel like myself is just uh, outside of it. And I think what Alice Childress does is she she doesn't let us get away with it. She's like, "Yeah, where do you think y'all came from? What I mean, this great migration, but y'all ain't you still you still we still part of a whole." don't undervalue these people with what you might call broken language that is real rich beautiful poetic language don't underestimate what that is don't underestimate that these people or don't devalue that these people are still close to their roots of who they are that they live off the land that they are they work with their hands you know I had a conversation with a uh, a writer a few months ago she's an older lady and we were kind of vibing off of what it meant to be a um black southern writer she's a novelist and a poet and um the conversation got to how we identify as southern writers and this kind of pride that we have that we sometimes are not allowed to have because the value of that kind of art, <laughs> you know, is stripped away, because you come to, I came to New York and, and that was sort of like tamped down. It's like, uh, we can't really hold that. But there is a pride that I have in being um, a descendant of someone whose blood is in the soil. You know, and I think that's what Jill just brings me back to, she reminds me of It's like actually we made this thing called America. Don't deny us our art as well, don't deny us our voice just because it doesn't sound like the Queen's language. There's power in it. There's power in um, Southern language, right?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, it's beautiful. When you hear the story of Childress's life, or I think maybe sometimes the holes in the stories of Childress's Mm -hmm. life, what resonates with you?
5: Well, like I said, her biography is something I feel like pretty in sync with. But I love the fact that I believe she was raised by her grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so another thing that she kind of gave me permission to do, because I feel like I got permission in a way down the line of of my writing uh journey but the thing that she said out loud to me on the page first thing was like you can center yourself in work like you can you can be the the one that you can challenge yourself inside of your inside of your work don't be afraid to put yourself on the line and and I I really think that's important put your body on the line if you're going to try and like have some ideas bounce around like put yourself at the center of it and don't 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 let it cost anybody else. Now, if you get if somebody catching strays, they're catching strays, but you have to like interrogate yourself. But I think that because of that influence of her grandmother, who like really, you know, impressed her about education and, you know, she had such a power, Alice Childress did, about who she was. And to me, that is, it shows up. It shows up in the work, you know. Um, her activism, uh, that she walked the walk. I mean, the the carrot that is Broadway. Oh my gosh, that she was like, nah, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I'm not changing my stuff. You know, like just that. Um, I mean, she's she's she stuck to what she believed in, and so there's a greater value in that than kind of selling yourself out in a way right and she she loved black people loved us enough to challenge us you know and i i wish we had taken gosh i wish we had taken better care when we had her you know
0: As I began thinking about how to close out this act, I got asked to reflect on what i would learned, appreciated, and still have questions about. What feels so clear to me after months of interviews and conversation is that Alice Childress touched the lives of many people and movements in so many different ways. She was a writer, an organizer, a critic, and someone who was thinking deeply about what it meant to be a Black artist during a time of deep-seated repression. When I piece together what I've learned about her life, I find myself in awe and filled with a deep sense of respect— However, maybe more than that, I find myself filled with such a familiar type of anger. How could someone so important and prophetic disappear into the folds of history? How does someone with so much to say vanish like a ghost? This act has been a painful reminder of what it means to try preserving a history that the world seems intent on making sure we forget about. We continue in spite of this. Thank you to everyone who we've talked to throughout this act, everyone who's contributed their time and enthusiasm. We are so grateful. Our sound editor is Aubrey Dubé. The theme song was composed by Alfonso Horn. For more information on Alice Childress, please visit theclassicswithanx.org and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Stay tuned for act three of the podcast. We're taking a road trip, y'all.